Hi everyone, I'm Tom Sharp, a senior associate in the Commercial London team at Osborne Clark, and I'm also a member of the Neurodiversity Committee at OC. Um, I'm joined today by Amy and John to chat about neurodiversity in the workplace and also how technology and digitalisation is helping and assisting with and potentially even accelerating kind of neurodiversity and DNI initiatives more generally. So. Without further ado, I'll hand over to Amy and John to introduce themselves. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Amy. Uh, I'm an associate here at Osborne Clark and our employment team. And similar to Tom, uh, I sit on the firm's neurodiversity committee. Uh, over to you, John. Yeah. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, depending when any of you are listening to this. My name's John Abel. I'm a technical director in the office of the CTO with Inside Google Cloud. Thanks both. Um, really looking forward to, to chatting with you today. Um, so, so as Tom said, what we're going to be talking about is neurodiversity and, and what that means. So I thought to kick us off, John, um, both Tom and I have read a number of your interviews. We've seen some of your talks uh, and you've been very open about the fact that you have dyslexia. Um, I was wondering if for the benefit of the audience, if you could tell us a little bit more about what that means for you on both a day-to-day level and at work. Yeah, I mean, I'm very, I'm very open about being dyslexic. I've been very open for quite a few decades now. Um, the the challenge is neurodiversity, which is obviously the category that I'm with, is very wide. There's multiple types of it. And my type of dyslexia that I have is that it, it struggles with my reading. So I'm a very slow reader, incredibly slow. Uh, I like listening to audiobooks and I'm constantly using tools, which we'll talk about later on to help me. And also my spelling and my grammar is uh, super poor. Um, so and actually, if you think about the jobs I do at Google, they they are incredibly important as well as the work I do as a technologist. And as we go through this, we'll talk about the tools. But generally, it's the spelling, it's the reading, and it's the way I process uh, aspects as well. And there's also some of other things about dyslexia is also that you, some people don't realize that I'm an actually an introvert, not an extrovert, which means for things like today, I have to prepare myself. It's not a case of just turning up and talking. Um, so yeah, there's a number of... Uh, elements to it yeah it's really interesting that's really interesting John and for me what I think is super interesting is you kind of you being kind of, kind of very open about your dyslexia I think is, is really great but as a kind of touch point on how we're moving as a society maybe did you find that when you were first being quite open about that the kind of reception or the way you felt about being open about it was different to now do you feel like we've moved along the tracks and people are more you know, receptive and accommodating. I, th- I think what we, what, why I've been asked this question a lot. When I first started in my career, uh, my actual first manager spotted that my English, my grammar was, uh, uh, as he said to me, he said, he said, you write a very different way to everybody else I've ever met. And I went, I, I didn't know if that was a positive or negative at that point, but he was very supportive. He actually helped me through the, uh, uh, you know, he said to me, he said, look, I can't understand what you write. <laughs> he's i'm being honest he said i can't and remember when i first started my career spell checkers and grammar checkers weren't at their best at that time and uh, meant that actually most word processors were actually just uh, a console without any tools at all and inherently i had to really work hard at it but because of that i found it easier to be just very open about it and because my very first manager spotted it um i've always been quite open about it and uh, i always talk about having my dizzy moments where i just literally 
sometimes just write stuff um, that I don't mean to write uh, the way I write it, but it's just the way I do. Um, and yeah, it, I, I think the hardest thing I've had is when people don't realize that I have dyslexia, sometimes the, the, the comments I get and the critique I get isn't, it's a bit, it's a bit blunt. It's a bit like, you know, I don't understand this. Are you really thinking about it? And, and I've had some more offensive terms put in, you know, comments uh, as well, um, especially in the social world. You know, when you're posting online, I have to really work hard at that because people really don't know that I'm dyslexic unless they read quite a few of my blogs. Um, and I've had quite a few comments in the past. I think I think I think it's a good point as well isn't it about kind of online versus in-person behavior and as you say obviously it's harder for people to know that you may maybe are dyslexic but it's an interesting wider societal debate at the moment isn't it you know don't do something online you wouldn't do in person but there's a good point you mentioned there around kind of tech development and how it's all come on and that kind of spell checkers and things like that so for me as someone that's a complete kind of tech nerd and in my day-to-day -day practice I work on lots of WYSI technology agreements something that I'm really interested to read about is kind of how technology is kind of helping you and I think you use things I think I read like Jamboard and Pixel Pens and yep. work in kind of different ways with those because could you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah I, I mean obviously that if you think about like when I write documents now I've got excellent thesauruses I've got excellent grammar checkers and excellent speller checkers I really like uh technology one of the things we do in Google Docs for example is is we and it's really it's getting so sophisticated it actually writes ahead so as I can auto complete a sentence for me which is super useful and I've noticed that other technologies have also started inherently the same the other one is captions because it's really weird when I'm actually listening to people talking, I actually have captions on so I can actually see what they're saying because some of the words they use, especially if I'm taking notes, I have no way to spell the note, the word. So I use captions to label me to spot the word. Um, you know, I'm doing Google searches pretty much every other hour, it seems, of words that I write. I also have to do Google. The other thing I do as well, which is another trick, is I do Google searches to check the meaning of the word is what I fen, uh, meant. Because in in my earlier career, I was using words that could be quite offensive, and I never realised because I thought it was spelt correctly. I remember sending an email to a group of individuals, and I used a word that wasn't particularly pleasant, and I hadn't, I didn't even know. And someone sent me an email back, and I think I sent it to several hundred people who worked for me, and um, I said, "Did you really mean to say this word?" And I went, yeah, yeah. And they went, go and do a Google search. Whoa. And uh, <laughs> then I had to send an apology email. But it, again, it, I didn't mean to. It's not malicious. Um, and the other thing as well is that technology is moving on so well now that it's the ability to interact with people. So you mentioned Jamboard. I, I do use a lot of technology to be creative because one of the benefits I have is I feel that my creative aspects are much higher in my skill set than my my reading and writing ability but what it does mean is that the 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 way that i use technology the way i use jamboards the way i draw a jamboard for people who don't know is basically a digital whiteboard so i can draw on it and i use pixel pens to draw as well and and it means that i can be creative in a digital setting and during lockdown and all of the periods we had where we had to work from home that was super important to me just um continuing on the kind of technology um theme I, uh, one thing i think you're involved is in is kind of ai and, and machine learning um mm -hmm. i was wondering if you could probably if you could perhaps tell us about the the kind of transformative part or the potential transformative power that 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 ai has in the neurodiversity space 
Yeah, I mean, inherently, we use it a lot. You know, voice processing could be using uh, artificial intelligence. You know, if you do Hey G, for example, um, what, one of the reasons that's important is the way I talk, the way I articulate, I may make the odd mistake, but generally my grammar is, and you'll notice I use very simple sentences. So the way I talk is very much a sentence, very simple sentence, another simple sentence. I'm not big for using large complex words. Uh, generally I will stutter at that point because I'm trying to think of what the word is. So I try to keep my sentences super simple. And what I've noticed is um, playback recording. So example, when I write documents now, I actually speak to a microphone and it auto completes the document for me. Again, that's a form of artificial intelligence. You know, captions on when we're talking on, on the conference call today, you know, if I was using Google Meet, so I'd have captions running. Um, so I could actually see what people are saying. That's another form of artificial intelligence. And also the whole um, engagement which we have with the, the, the world, if I'm using either a keyboard or if I'm using voice or if I'm using text, all aspects of these can use artificial intelligence. And of course, autocomplete, fin finishing off a sentence. That's another example of artificial intelligence. So we probably don't call it artificial intelligence because we don't see it like that but that is fundamentally what a lot of that technology is using yeah i think it's, it's really interesting john isn't it because you've probably heard this term as well but it's the irobot fallacy which is that if you hear the term ai or machine learning you think of a very sophisticated robot that's probably enslaving humanity and taking over the world whereas actually a lot of the things we use day to day can be machine learning like you know recommendations on Spotify for songs you might like to listen to and as you say predictive text and things like that so it's it's mm -hmm. kind of a lot of this is with us here and now and it's interesting to hear how that tech is super helpful for you in, in the kind of in, in your day job so I guess if we sort of tie together all of those strands and think about you know technology and ways of working how do you see maybe technology and also you know as we know, neurodiversity brings challenges and benefits, but how do you see workplaces kind of adapting and the potential to adapt with technology to make a kind of more neurodiverse, inclusive workplace? Mm -hmm. if you, I think first we need to break the problem down. So let's deal with the first part of why a diverse workforce is important, because I think that's critical, is one of the things we know in the world today is we look at the entire planet, we have diversity across the planet, where people live, how they speak, their their culture the way they think um and all the if you think about every business on the planet today especially if they're a global business they're having to be diverse in their workforce to match their user base so if you think about the breadth that we touch as google and google cloud the breadth of individuals is incredibly diverse so it's important for us to have a workforce that's also diverse diverse in what you can see but also diverse in the way we think and actually, I think any business going forward that hasn't got that diversity is going to struggle because you're you're basically quadrating off or making a part of your user base, your focus. And that's the user base you relate to. The other aspect of diversity is that it, I love it because you challenge biased. The way that we all attended this call today was different. The way that we were brought up was different. The way we went to school was different. Now, inherently, if you can get a, a wide range of diversity across different uh, groupings, you have the ability to make sure that you're challenging biased. Because biased, all those beliefs come with us. We all have a level of it with inside us. And I think what's super exciting is having that diversity allows you to have actually different views of a problem statement. So I think in the workplace, it's essential for the future, but it's essential really for now, you know, um, 
And then if you look at the the te- the, the way technology's changed, it's leveled many people. You know, I think one of the, the the aspects of the period we're going through now, the hybrid working, the ability to work remote or working in an office. And I appreciate there's people out there that haven't have got jobs and roles where they can't work remote. They have to work in person. And, you know, I fully understand that. It's, you know, we're very lucky in technology. We can do it. The same as in your industry, you can do it as well. So I think that the hybrid working is accelerated leveling as well. Today, we're all talking uh, on a call, but we're all equal uh, in the way that no one has an advantage or a disadvantage. We've all got the same. Um, and also, a lot of the tools I use help me uh, and using technology at home. I have multiple screens because then I can have uh, interaction with a wider, so I can check words out as we talk it without me, which would be harder if I was in a physical meeting. So there's many benefits in society, but I think the most important thing to think about is the world is diverse. And if you're going to have an offering to the world, make sure that you're diverse in the way you thought about the problem statement and the way you answered it. That moves on quite nicely, I think, to, to the next question I was going to pose to you, John. I was just going to ask you what you think are the, the kind of key lessons for companies um, and what they should be focusing on in, say, the, the kind of near to, to medium term. I think I think the first thing is that, you know, it's very easy at my point in my career to talk about diversity because obviously I've gone through a large number of decades in this industry already. So for me, being open about diversity and talking about it, people go, well, you know, you've, you've done it. But I even talked about it when I was younger in career, you know, when I was in my my early start of my career. And, and the point is, I think I've seen more benefit talking about it than not talking about it. And the reason it's benefited me is is the way that I might think, the way I might operate, sometimes can confuse people. So I find just being open about it has helped me. But I fully appreciate it's not easy because you don't know how, when you talk about it, people are going to respond to it. But I think businesses going forward, they have to think about that actually this, this inclusive environment we will work in I always say to leaders, and I, I, you know, I've managed large teams as well, that actually me being a, a listener and someone that supports, I, I get more benefit from the people that work from me than someone who's directive. So I think that that ability to be a, a, a servient leader, we, we talk normally about, is very important. You know, with, and I think if if you're managing a team where you're trying to have a diverse inclusion and you're trying to have diversity, then accept that not everybody's going to work the way you work um and and just go go with it if it's if it's if it's adding business benefit then why you know challenge it you know i and i think that's important going forward we have to be much more cognitive about people's way of working and this this but if they're delivering the roles and they're delivering success then that's good that's good absolutely and that again kind of segues into what i was thinking of asking next john which is if people listening to this think you know i'm I'm fully on board that that sounds awesome like I couldn't agree more on a kind of day-to-day level when we're thinking about you know different as much as neurodiverse people I guess it's a wider societal point as well everyone has different ways they like to work different mm-hmm. you know ways of approaching everything like you say it's 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 across us all so if you are you know thinking of how you could help make create a better workplace for people with neurodiversity is how would you suggest they kind of go about that is it conversations between line manager and working out best mm-hmm. ways of working or is there anything you kind of 
Yeah. I, yeah, the first thing is, I think any leader that thinks they're neurodiverse or believes they've got some of the characteristics of it, or any type of, um, uh, you know, role that you do, actually, it's very powerful just talking about it. You know, I mean, all of my team know that I'm dyslexic, that I've worked with. And actually, I talk about it a lot because I think if I talk about it as a leader, then people will go, OK, approachable. That's the word you want as a leader. You want to be approachable. You know, example would be I had a rule. I never um, I hated sitting in a closed office. Um, I used to sit in an open office. I very rarely, I don't, you know, if I need that special occasion where I had to have a closed office for certain meetings, then I'd go into it. I could book a room. It's, it's, I didn't want to live in this closed office. I didn't want to create a barrier between me and the people that used to work for me. And I think again, it's like that with neurodiversity, you don't want to create a barrier. You want to be open. So the first thing is be open as a leadership skill. And if you're someone who works for someone, be open as well. But, you know, and I understand that's not an easy word to say, but it's harder to do it. Um, and then talk about it. Talk about the, you know, what you what you find easy, what you find hard. And I always say to people in your career, write down the things you f enjoy. Write down the things that you're good at. And if the enjoyment and the good at are the same, then that's brilliant. You know, are there things you're not good at? Then find the, the roles that don't suit need that skill. You know, but you've got to keep experiment and learning for your career because you change over time. And I think important that whatever stage you are in your development, you know, I constantly moved roles every two years. And it wasn't because I was bored or I didn't like doing the job. I wanted to test myself to experiment other things, to, to get my lists of the things I enjoy, the things I'm good at, and the things I'm not good at. And the things I'm not good at, I purposely um, make sure they're not the highlight of the role. Oh, totally. And I think there's a good there's a good kind of lesson there, John, in what you're saying and everything you've been saying today and from from all I've seen on kind of interviews with you is I think historically, if we don't feel equipped to have a conversation, we don't have it. So if people think, oh, that's a bit awkward, you, you know, maybe you just kind of brush that under the carpet and pretend it doesn't exist. And maybe that's a historic kind of British idiosyncrasy as well, you know, just and I think one big theme for me about DNI neurodiversity and things that we've been trying to encourage within OC is just having the conversation, being open and talking about it. You know, you should feel very free to be mm -hmm. yourself in the workplace and everyone has a unique skill set and ways of working, but there is nothing wrong with having a different way of working or a different approach to things. It's just part of that diversity that you were speaking about. Yeah, and I think I think what's really important about it is if you don't talk about it, you start overthinking it. And when you start overthinking challenges, you start, you know, mental well-being is so important to, in this era. It's always been important. I think we talk about it more now. And I think what I like about this era that we're in is we're talking about things much more openly. And actually, you know, I'm a big believer that if you talk about it, it's like a release valve. It's like, you know, and I think everybody's got to have a release valve. We always say, take your holiday. Well, we should also talk about have have your conversations you know everything's a relief valve you know you still go on holiday and be wound up and tight and and it's like just have the release valve and i think as leadership managers or even peers your responsibility is to help the relief valve 
because people sense it. You sense when things aren't quite right. You sense when people are struggling. You sense, you you know, we all do. We're humans. We can sense it. We can see change. It's always worth if someone needs to be listened to, well, listen. Absolutely. I think, yeah, there's, that's for me is a kind of key takeaway and something that, as I say, we're trying to really instill across those seas, have those kind of networks and make sure people feel very comfortable talking about this. Because as you say, problem shared is problem halved. And I feel like the kind of analogy I always work with is if it's, you're not sharing, you're pushing a cork down into water. But actually, it doesn't matter how deep you push it, eventually it's going to pop back up and burst out the surface. And whether that is a dramatic bursting out of the water or whether it's just, as you say, releasing the pressure valve is speaking about it. And it's only through doing that that we're going to achieve adaptation. Yeah. I think also you have to be remember that your journey through life is not the same as someone else. So someone t instructing someone what to do, that's really not the best thing in the world to do. I always say to people, listen and ask questions. You know, self-discovery is the biggest form of, you know, I remember when my daughters used to do sport, you know, I was the overactive parent, do this, do that. And I, I, I then, you know, and it was hard because you want your children to do the best. You know, that's what you want. And you think, right, if I tell them to do, and in the after a while, you could see they're getting stressed, I'm getting stressed. And a very dear friend of mine, who's a very good coach said to me, he said, look, how many times do you see I talk to, you know, my daughter? And I said, well, you don't talk a lot. He said, no, so I talk very little. And he said, all I'm doing is getting them to answer the problem. Because they've got a lot more experience of the sport that they do than I have. I'm the coach. Yes, I might, I might see the issues that you see. But fundamentally, me calling them out isn't going to help them learn. And actually, just me asking questions saying, how did that feel? Did you feel like that was better than the last time? Generally, someone who who's going through that processing will say, no, I didn't so well, it, it wasn't great. You know, like, how did it feel when you did that piece of work? Um, well, it, it, it was all right. Why was it only OK? Why was it only all right? You know, and they go, well, I didn't do this bit right, didn't do that bit right. What would you learn from that? Do you see what I mean? You're not answering questions. You're just doing self-discovery and and inherently, after a while you get better and better at it i was never very good at it as a as a parent though that's the only challenge i i couldn't help myself but i i'm i, I think i'm better in my career <laughs> absolutely but you apply that to as you say work and you know management style and like you say they knew the sport better everyone knows yeah. their own life the best so if you say how would you like to you know how would you like the workplace to adapt or what could we do to help i guess that is empowering that person and putting them more in the in kind of command of what might be useful and then companies can respond to that yeah it, it's like the question i used to always love asking is when do you feel your best you know when do you feel your best when do you feel like you're at the top of your game when do you and what environment do you like working in when you're in that space because that's what you want someone to work with and be flexible how people can work. You know, if someone says, well, effectively, I, I work really well when I have multiple screens and I work really well when I'm when I can have lots of jobs because I like parallel processing or I like time when I'm focused on one job at a time or, you know, I enjoy having the break time to walk around to the outside and just get some fresh air. And, you know, it's like just, yeah, why not? You know, why not? We all want to do a good job. I, I'm a big believer that everybody wants to do the best they can.
And the job of every of every company and every person is to create the framework to allow that person to achieve their best. Just touching on kind of people's different life experiences. I know when we've spoken before, you, you've told us about the voluntary work that you do yeah. uh, at a local prison. I think it would be interesting for, for, for the audience to, to have some insight into that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. I work, I, I get, when I go into London, I should have actually been there this week, um, but I had COVID last week, so I couldn't go in and, uh, which is a real shame because I like going in. I really do. And I, I tell you why I like going in. First of all, you, and, it, and it, I like the idea that I'm learning. And I think sometimes I learn more than they learn from me because I learn. Remember that word I used about biased. You know, I go in and, you know, meet people that have never seen the technology that I'm working with, you know, or I'm working with someone who has no idea what I'm saying. And by the way, I have no idea what they're saying sometimes. And it's not because of different languages. It's just terminology. It's like I'm learning. I'm constantly learning. I also have been pleasantly surprised, really surprised, that actually everybody, when you think about it, we're all humans. And actually... And I might be lucky. So I might be lucky. I've met some amazing people, but actually they're all wanting to do better. They're all wanting to, and they all lean in. They all engage. Everybody I've worked with, they're always leaning in, engaging. And I say to everybody, you know, do it to help yourself learn about different areas of society and work and different experiences, but also just, it's brilliant when you see people achieve stuff, you know, uh, you know, one of the people that I work with, they've they've joined the coding club and they had never coded before. And it's like amazing to see this someone who's getting excitement out of things. And it reminds me when I first started developing back in my, you know, my earlier years and I was writing for the first time, the excitement I had. So it gets me excited because I'm seeing them excited. So it's like it's a whole like evolution. And it's and and again, just that whole like engagement and is just it's just fantastic and that's why i do probably you know and for me to pop in there for a couple of hours on the way into london and you know spend time with the fine the, the you know the people i work with is just it's just really nice and we can all find time we can all find a couple of hours a month it's not it's not really we all say we got busy lives we all have busy lives but i'm a big believer just carve out a couple of hours yeah if i'm prepared to go out for dinner with people for two or three hours then I must be able to find two or three hours to do, to go and just, and even if I can't help, just spending time and listening and working, just such a buzz I get from it, such a buzz. And and, and the relevance of that, that voluntary work to our discussion today, um, I don't know the exact statistic, but a, a kind of a, a large proportion of the prison population yeah. is thought to be neurodivergent, aren't they? Yeah, so when you look at it, the, some of the most successful people on the planet, I think in north america it's north of 30 percent there's a report done are self-made entrepreneurs you know, some of the best entrepreneurs are neurodiverse um and then sadly when you go to prison there's a high percentage and again i think it's higher than 50 percent is neurodiverse you know especially with things like dyslexia etc so it, again I, t I tell you what i find in working with 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 the offenders is their creativity is so high you know the way that they think about problem solving the way they that and that is just immense because you think about the world we live in the mind of being creative is something is very unique to you know 
what we do as humans, you know, the creative and all, you know, and I think if we can bring out the creative side of people, the industrialized side, the repetitive bit is what we learn through skills, et cetera. But that art being creative is quite unique. And actually, when you see people coming up with creative approaches to answering problems, I generally I get amazed, like, how did they think of that as an answer? How did they? And like, I learn from it because I learn somewhere how else to approach problems. And it's like that whole creative mindset. We can accelerate that because we need people in the world going forward. that are highly creative, fixing some of the hardest problems we've got to fix. You know, if you think about climate change, if you think about the world that we have today, there's so many aspects that we need people to be very creative. So if we can dial up the creativity and then the industrialized pit is just the act of execution. I think that's going to make the world a better place. I think I couldn't agree more, John. And it's been, you know, it's sort of really interesting to chat and there's some big things we're touching on there. But I think what's exciting for me is, like you say, I very much enjoy this era that we're in. We're talking about this stuff and it is thankfully becoming front and centre of mm -hmm. people's minds and, you know, a, a big focus for companies, which I think is can only be a positive thing. So it's been super interesting to chat and hopefully everyone listening, whether you're on a dog walk or having a coffee break or Otherwise, just uh, just at your desk listening to hopefully a very interesting discussion. It's been great to have you. So thank you for your time, John. It's been well, thank you for listening. Um, and I hope, you know, it's been, I really enjoy this discussion. So thank you for asking me as well. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.